and welcome to SBO Perspectives. I am Jack Mitchell, here along with the esteemed John Bricado. That's right, John Bricado. Always, every Thursday, coming with you with the latest. And so I'll let John get into this very, very informative episode. Yes, an episode we've really been looking forward to bringing to you, our listeners, for some time now. Jack and I, as you know, have been on the Next Generation Committee, along with our other committee members, really working with ASBO and the organization at large to really infuse diversity, equity, inclusion into our work and making it just as part of what we do. And as part of our work, we've been working alongside Keisha Carter, who is the Chief Diversity Officer of Coordinated Case Services. And she's been instrumental in really helping us mold in our vision and creating a pathway in terms of where we see the organization going, offering more professional development opportunities, more recruitment and retention opportunities. It's just been an incredible experience. So today we're bringing you Keisha kind of behind the scenes of what she does as the Chief Diversity Officer. So here's our interview with Keisha Carter. Today on the podcast, we have Keisha <laughs> Carter. Keisha is the Chief Diversity Officer of Coordinated Care Services Incorporated. Keisha, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, and we Keisha, have- how's it going? Going well, going well. Been a little yeah. while, huh? Yeah, a little while, kind of, because Keisha's been working with us pretty closely on the Next Generation Committee and really helping us kind of mold our vision and focus on DEI-related work, as well as just recruitment and retention of school business officials. So we're really happy to have you on, Keisha, because you've been working with us pretty closely, but we wanted to take an opportunity to kind of expound on what we've been doing and really introduce you to our membership at large and our listeners to really kind of go over what we've been doing and really your work yes. specifically at, at, with diversity as a, as a, as a whole. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the work that, that you've done, I mean, obviously, you know, it's going to be forthcoming for us, but just that whole experience is just a wonder. It just opened up my eyes to many things as far as that complete process. And I guess just going into our, our podcast here, you know, in this episode, I really want our listeners, John and I would like them to really gain a sense of what this entails, right? Like just the background. It's not as simple as just sitting down and writing goals and just figuring out, you know, like where you want to go. It's a little bit deeper, right? So so I guess, you know, taking a step back here, how how do you think that you personally landed into your role? right? As being this diversity consultant, I know that you came on last year to ASBO, you know, in, in our um, SBMW and, and just, you know, being able to, to, when you realize that your expertise now is really for, is essential for educators? So yeah, two, so two parts to that. So the first part, mm-hmm. landing a role as a diversity consultant really was very organic. I started out, and I'm not going to go through the entire story because it's kind of long, but I started out as a member of an employee resource group at an organization that I worked in. And through that group, I was elected as the vice president. And in that group, I started to have um, some ideas on how to make some things better, different, enhance some things within the organization. And that really started to grow my interest in um, DEI, because I was a member of the vice president of the African-American Employee Resource Group. And that started to grow my interest in DEI as a whole outside of that one part of my identity, but as many different parts of my identity and many different people's identities and what they have to contribute. And so started to do some formal training and I'm giving the very high level version, but started to do some formal training in DEI 
And then as, because I have children who were in school, I was active in things that they were doing in school. And I became recently the part of the equity team for the school uh, district that my son is in and started to really see how there is a need for an understanding of more than the business side of uh, DEI work, but how does it help uh, the students? How does it help the, the folks that are in leadership be able to make decisions with a different lens? And so that really sparked my interest in DEI with around education, because there's so many different layers to DEI in education as well. And how have you really seen the whole space change since, you know, you're uh, really starting in this role? I'm, I'm sure a lot has kind of evolved over that time. Yeah, a lot has really, I've been doing this work now formally for 16 years and a lot has really, really changed. And if you think about just the difference in 16 years ago till now, what was socially acceptable? What was Mm -hmm. socially acceptable to do and say and be and think and act and show up and all of those things. And thinking about now being much more open and having folks understand different parts of identities and and how we can advocate for other people who are outside of ourselves, who are different than um, we are and how we can be more forgiving and understanding of other people's, I'm using air quotes right now, norms that are different than our own norms. And I think that's really how it's changed quite a bit. Changes overnight sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. I'm thinking about Twitter right now. I'm thinking about how Twitter might change. (laughs) <laughs> seriously my husband my, my husband asked me one day like is there a, is there a book of like all of the appropriate like pronouns to use and I was like who would no. maintain that like he, and I'm like who would maintain that because it's going to change like every single day but yes yeah. you're you're so right it changes all the time but yeah, we have could to be, be like a, a cheat that, sheet or something right but you can just yes <laughs> and that's why we have to be in tune oh, we have to oh, really boy. be in tune and really pay attention to how things are changing and, and be open to the changes and being open to doing our work and incorporating those changes as well. Great. So over the past 16 years in your work, you know, can you explain to, how, explain to us how you really developed your methods and what factors influence those methods that you use today? Yeah. So really, it started out with being much more about being led by personal experience. So using my own person, my lived experience to dictate the work that I was doing and like I said, as I started to get more formal education around DEI, I started to, I went and got certified, which is different than a, cert, a certificate of completion. I have to remind folks of that because folks go through a course and they're like, I completed this course. I'm certified. I'm like, no, you did a course. Uh, <laughs> you don't class. know DEI yet. <laughs> right. You're not you see, DEI. You it's not a, it's not a box right. you check, right? Certificate of completion. Right. I, I'm certified. So very different. As I, as I started to get certified, understanding so much more than my own lived experience and understanding how other people's lived experience matters to them. And even those experiences that we haven't lived because they're based on uh, history and how history dictates what's happening now. And so thinking about currently my strategy, my the focus of my strategy is really helping folks to understand, um, one, how to make decisions with the DEI lens and how to, sometimes it starts out separate, you know, really making the decision or thinking about the decision and then thinking about how do I apply a DEI lens to this with the hope that as we move forward, it's not a separate thing. It is just a way of being and that thought process comes up naturally. And then the other part is storytelling. I use a lot of storytelling through in my strategy to make 
the concepts more understandable and applicable so that folks can relate to what's happening. And I use stories of my own, my family, my friends, so that, you know, there's not this idea of here's this person that has studied some things and is now telling us the theory of all of these things. But here's a person who has studied these things, understands the theory and understands the application in a real world setting. And how do I relate to that? How do I see myself in that? And that's really the strategy that I take. Yeah, and Absolutely. one of your methods that you mentioned, I think, is what we're really trying to focus on with the Next Generation Committee and ASBO as uh, as a entire organization is, you know, baking this into what we do. It's not just a thing anymore. It's just kind of embedded in in who we are as an organization. So, you know, that's that's part of that work that we've been working on uh, with with ASBO. Absolutely. And I, I'm, thank you for that, John, but you cut Jack off because you've given me a compliment and I just want to make sure we, we get to Jack's yeah. compliment right there. No, it, it's fine. You know, sometimes it, it goes like that. And, you know, when, when there's a good idea, thought, Keisha, we don't I kind of overstep it. it. It's fine. But I appreciate that, Keisha. You know, I, you know what? I actually have this creative thought that popped in my mind to call this episode the DEI night. So think about it like this. A Jedi night, you're a DEI mm-hmm. night. Right. And, that, that's awesome Jedi. stuff right there. Seriously, think about Jedi, though. Justice, equity, diversity, inclusion, Jedi, J-E-D-I. Look at that. Yeah. You could just kind of flip it. Oh, that's even yeah, better. You should right. just name the episode for us. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So so I guess, you know, you, you may have already alluded to this, and I appreciate your, your, your responses because, you know, that storytelling, there were a lot of stories you told us over that week, and that does make it so much more relatable. It can you know, apply it to me and then also make you like, look, you know, that experience and, and how you share mentally from someone receiving that, right? They're able to absorb it better. And they actually, I think, hear you more and, and be more, more, more credible, right? So, but, you know, why do you think your methods really have been so helpful in transforming these organizations? And I get the storytelling that piece, but like maybe there's another, you know, the, the Jedi piece, right? Maybe if you will. Yeah, I think it's been helpful in helping transform organizations because there are folks that are in the organizations that are that are hurting. Right. So there are folks that want more, that want different, that want to be seen, valued, heard and respected. And and by transforming the culture in an organization, you get so much more out of people. And so um, there's that business case. So when Mm -hmm. when folks don't have to think about how to cover part of their identity when folks don't have to think of who they need to be in a space, but they can show up authentically, then that brain power that they were using for covering part of their identity can now go toward actually doing the work. And when, when I can use all of my brain power for doing the work, you're going to get more out of me. The other part is when I feel safe and comfortable and secure in an environment, I'm more likely to be loyal and stay longer. I'm more likely to really be engaged in, and committed to the work that I'm doing. So you're going to get the best of me every single day. Absolutely. And that's why as businesses and organizations start to understand that all of those things are possible. And if you want the best from the people that you have, then you have to give them the best as well. And that goes beyond lip service. And that's why I think this work is uh, sustainable and necessary. Um, And then the last part, I think, is um, because, you know, like you mentioned, Twitter, we live in the social media age. And Mm -hmm. when you have organizations that are just giving lip service and not really putting actions behind it, we have an ability to call them out almost instantaneously. Right. You, You say you're this, but you're not living into that. 
And that matters because then folks will stop. If you, you know, buying your product or your service, people don't want to apply to work there. So that all matters. Yeah. You got to learn how to speak the the language of the, of the decision makers. If it's all about the bottom line, then let me talk to that and show you why this work is important to impact your bottom line. That's so powerful. Thank you. Wow. So Keisha, you've covered a lot of important points and a lot of methods and strategies, but bringing it back to who we are as school administrators and business officials, how does all of what you describe to us throughout this podcast, how does this fit into the educational space and where does that mesh with the whole DEI as, as, as an this fits This fits very well into the educational space because uh, you all have the ability to make decisions that will make it so that folks don't have the job that I have in 20 years, in 25 years, because you're impacting the folks that are going to then be the decision makers at that time, right? And so as you're doing the work that you're doing in education as school business officials, thinking one about how you're making decisions and how, because it's one thing to understand concepts and understand these ideas but it's, the, it's another to unlearn some things and see where you have influence to uh, break down some of those barriers. Something as simple as, you know, what's being asked on an application? Is that, you know, is that leave folks out? Are you asking a question in a way that, you know, folks that don't meet that criteria will feel like they're left out or they're going to be marginalized because of the answer that they give? And then as you're going through them and continuously making decisions and having that using your influence in the jobs that you have with the folks that you supervise in the the work that you do and the influence that you have in that space being able to think about it in that lens and again here we go back to that separate kind of lens doing the things that you do but then going back and applying this vellum strip over it and this DEI lens to think about okay now how does that impact someone who looks different than me someone who has a different background from me all of those things. So, and then my, my hope is that, you know, in 25, 30, 40 years, there's no need for the job that I have. Right. And, you know, you bring up a good point. Something as simple as how you're phrasing a question or how you're delivering or looking for information rather on an application is, is super important and maybe sometimes overlooked. Do you have kind of examples that you've seen and can describe to our listeners of things that may be marginalizing potential candidates on applications? Yeah, absolutely. So one, definitely um, thinking about beyond the application, thinking about who's on the interview team, right? What, who are, are there folks that are thinking definitely we need, you know, Jack, Jack left this position. Jack's position is vacant. We need another Jack. Well, you know what? Jack's a great guy, but do we need another Jack or do we need someone who's going to bring a different perspective on the application questions around, you know, outside of what's illegal, (laughs) but, you know, being mindful of taking into account, like what school did you go to? Because we have biases around, you know, different school programs and different. and, And then how do we redact some information? How do we use a screener if we don't have the funds for artificial intelligence to do that for us? How do we utilize an individual that has that is not part of the interview process to be a screener, to redact some information? So now instead of looking at Keisha Carter and forming opinions about you know, the name Keisha and what I might look like, what my background might be, what I might lend to this position, you're just looking at application, applicant number 101 who has this degree and has this experience. 
And then the other part of that is within different districts, thinking about what's the experience based on the position that is um, being filled, what's the experience and what's the equivalent that we can give to um, education and and experience. So uh, depending on the position, outside of any regulatory requirements, are there, uh, can we give some credit for experience in lieu of a degree kind of thing or in lieu of a more advanced degree? kind of thing. So, you know, looking at barriers in all different kinds of ways and thinking about how we can eliminate some of those in order for uh, folks to have more equitable opportunities. Yes, yes, yes. That is, oh my gosh, this is really good, Keish. I mean, you know, I, I think one of the reasons why John and I, we spoke about this earlier in the year, you know, the state came out with some mandates as far as, you know, districts now implementing this, right? So you might, you might see this come up in in different districts across New York, but I know some might still be behind. And so with that, you know, I guess, what advice might you be able to give, you know, to our colleagues and peers out there who may not have yet begun, right, implementing any DEI measures? And, and you know, starting from the ground up, how does that look like? What can it do to, to really spark that initiative? I would say take, if, if there's nothing that has been started, I would say take one step and either formally survey folks uh, within your your purview to see what it is that they they feel like might be missing or they would want to have happen or start to have those conversations with folks to see what what might be missing what they want to have happen and then from there you know start to develop a plan for you know what's what are the easy things to do from there what are the really quick hits that you can based on that information and then what are the longer term things that need more of a strategy And if you don't know how to do any of them, reach out to uh, someone who has some experience to uh, be able to get some help with that. For folks that have already started and may have, you know, hit kind of a wall and they're taking a step back to not say, one of the things that I absolutely believe in, if you look on my LinkedIn profile, uh, words I live by are there's no such thing as failure, only a million different ways to learn how to not do something. And so if you've started on this journey and you're like, oh, we tried some things and it's not quite, it it didn't work, let's just scrap that. Being able to step back and think about and and really look at like, it's not a failure. What can we learn from that? What can we do differently? What can we retool? What parts of this worked well so that we can continue this work? And who else do we need to get involved? Who's missing from being a part of this conversation within your district so that um, you have many different areas involved to really advance this work and you're not pulling this boat along by yourself. Yeah, that great, great advice. And I, I know that as Jack said, I'm sure school districts across the state and the country are, are varying different points and kind of really identifying this work and, and molding it into their their organizations. But Keisha, I have to ask, when you're not, you know, molding the minds of different employers and organizations, what are you doing? Like what 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 does Keisha Carter do for fun? Oh, I I hang out with my husband. So we just celebrated his 50th birthday on Monday. Happy birthday. Uh, so I hang Congrats. out with my husband. Nice. I hang out with my my crazy kids, two 25-year-old daughters and a 15-year-old son. And nice. so I hang out with my kids, hang out with my friends. I do. I love to be like, I love to do activities. I'm not really an outdoorsy person, but mm. I love to do like lots of activities. I like to constantly move. I love, I've recently discovered that I actually really, really like axe throwing. So, um, so <laughs> awesome. that's pretty good. Yeah. 
<laughs> don't don't cross Keisha. <laughs> She'll throw an egg. No, that's, no, that's fine. That's I said I stuff. like it. I didn't say I was good at it, but I do like axe <laughs> okay. throwing. And then, you know, of course, I spend some time. I did sometimes just turn my brain off and veg out and watch, you know, a little TV. And I'm cool. constantly on the move, constantly doing something, traveling, looking yep. forward to vacations. So nice. Awesome. Well, Keisha, we got to say thank you so much again for coming on um, and sharing, you know, your, your mythology, the whole ideology behind DEI. Right. And again, the Jedi Knight. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like that. So this is great. So I guess we'll, we'll we'll let folks know about this LinkedIn page because you sound like you could be a great resource for those as well. So so thank you again. Yeah, Keisha, yeah, thank you all. Thank you so much. And you'll be presenting again at the June Education Summit, correct? Yes, I will be there on Sunday, June fifth. Wonderful, awesome. wonderful. Well, we look forward to seeing you again and continuing our work together on the Next Generation Committee and really getting you again in front of our organization at large. So thank you again for your time uh, this morning. We really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. And thank you to the thank listeners. You. Love it. Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Keisha Carter. She's been, again, an instrumental individual with our Absolutely. work at ASBO. And as you can tell, probably throughout, uh, you know, organizations across the state that she's been working with. What about questions, John? I mean, listening to this, even, you know, work we've done with her, still finding out more information with her, her providing this awareness, right? And even giving some of the steps out there for others to to kind of follow, it's been great. And I, I love this Jedi, this new Jedi Knight thing, right? I know, I'm a big I Star know. Wars guy. So, yeah. <laughs> I can, so and I can't so believe 16 years she's been doing it for a really long time. Yeah, well, you know, I think it's just getting more traction now, like she said, because now of social media being so pronounced that when things happen, it's like so quick. And you know how you interact, and that can be. You know, I don't want to say the word like where it could be fatal, but it could, it could be, be something. I mean, if you, you, do if you don't know how to respond. Yeah, you know, and it's it's like that. So you don't want to be in a situation that present, positions you where, you know, you're now like at the behemoth of so many uh, folks out there because they follow you and you said something wrong, you disappointed, something wasn't placed right. So this is great. And the awareness, again, I think it's crucial for us, especially around the state with the initiative. So right. good. So we hope you liked it. And with that, you know, I guess we'll sign off. We'll see. We got so much more coming up. This is we're now in the second quarter. We're going strong up to the summit. So uh, look forward to the episodes you mentioned prior. And obviously you have any questions, ask your perspectives in Gmail. Definitely check our Twitter handle, ask your perspectives. And, uh, you know, John and I, we're always out here and we're looking forward to, to this each and every week. So we thank yeah. you again for listening. And with that, John, let's take him out. Thanks, everyone.